0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. on the nose. It is, what is it, Thursday? September the 24th? twenty twenty this is episode two hundred and ninety two of Bitcoin, and we're gonna jump right into it uh be aware i <laughs> destroyed like most of my cookies and whatnot as as normal i've had well hadn't done it in a while, and it's good to clean up, but oh boy, it's kind of messed up some uh stuff that I had set up, so we'll just have to take it as we go here, so. I'm not going to get too fancy with today's show, and it may be a little short. We'll have to see. We're going to start right here with Bitcoin Magazine and Peter Chihuahua writing this. When did he write this? He write this sometime. He wrote this sometime yesterday. Uh, Fincen files remind us that Bitcoin is still not for money laundering. Yeah, probably not a good idea to use it for money laundering. This week, a released cache of thousands of reports from major banks showed that these institutions ignored their own concerns and willingly moved trillions of dollars around the world on behalf of suspected terrorists, criminals, and corrupt governments. Known as the FinCEN files because the banks, reported, were filed with the United States Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, the FinCEN, this cache was brought to light by a group of international journalists There were more than twenty one hundred suspicious activity reports released this way, which referred to more than two trillion dollars of transactions occurring from nineteen ninety nine to twenty seventeen, according to the New York Times. Now, the lenders that filed such reports and then willfully ignored their own concerns include JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, HSBC, and Deutsche Bank. These groups moved funds for the likes of a Taliban tiered or tied company. Groups connected to the North Korean regime and the organizer of a sovereign wealth fund fraud in Malaysia. There's definitely a rabbit hole to be explored about FinCEN and its laborious journey to regulate cryptocurrency activity. But I think the real entry point from this revelation about the world's foremost financial institutions is through the misappropriated reputation that Bitcoin has for money laundering. A great place to start... On the connections between BTC and money laundering is with this Bitcoin magazine article from 2013, which is a link, right? Bitcoin has long held a reputation for facilitating dubious transactions thanks to its pseudonymity and privacy protections. BTC was the currency of choice for the world's most prolific dark, dark net markets, the Silk Road. Silk Road was such a prominent fixture in the Bitcoin economy that Vitalik Buterin covered the project in a two-part report for Bitcoin Magazine way back in 2012. But the truth is that while Bitcoin is a pretty solid tool, tool for obscuring financial transactions, as Aaron Von Weirdem covered in this exploration of Bitcoin privacy technology for 2018, another link... It's far less capable of protecting privacy than some other cryptocurrencies out there. And, as the FinCEN files have underscored, the world's premier financial institutions are regularly laundering money as well. So, even though dark net market activity will probably always remain connected to Bitcoin, as we explained last year, another link, this week's bombshell report is another reminder that Bitcoin's use as a tool for criminals is just another myth. That might apply better to the world's legacy systems. Yeah, it's just—I mean, this is just a reminder about what's what's happened. Okay, uh, and what's happened is well criminal, and is anybody going to go to jail? No, nobody's going to go to jail. All these people are so freaking well connected that they can do whatever they want at this point. So, trusting your governments uh, to do the "quote-unquote" right thing is, yeah, it's just lost in the noise. So let's continue on with one billion dollars in Bitcoin options are to expire tomorrow. Here's what it means: Robert Stevens writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Uh, let's see here. Let's start with this one. Almost a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin options contracts, a little under half in existence, are set to expire on Friday, per data. From SKU Analytics, and Ethereum isn't far behind. About $450 million worth of ethos options contracts expire on the same day. This could potentially introduce a whole lot of crypto back into the market as traders look to dump or hodl. Here's what to expect. First things first, what are we talking about? An options contract lets people buy Bitcoin in the future at a price agreed for or agreed to beforehand. So, if you entered into an options contract, When Bitcoin was worth about $4,000 following the mid-March crash to receive your Bitcoin at that very price, come the final Friday of September, that would have been a smart decision, or rather a lucky bet, as Bitcoin has more than doubled in price. This is also the premise of a Bitcoin futures contract. But where the two differ is that a Bitcoin futures contract creates a contractual obligation to buy that Bitcoin upon the contract's expiry, With options, traders are not contractually obliged to buy up the Bitcoin, but simply have the option to do so. Sounds just too easy. Bitcoin options contracts are big business. On Darabit, the largest platform for options contracts by volume, traders exchange about $57 million worth of options contracts each day. And as of yesterday, there were about $2 billion worth of Bitcoin options contracts yet to expire. That means that about half will expire come Friday. For Ethereum, it's a similar picture, so what will happen? According to a research report from CoinMetrics for Ethereum, quote, this event will likely add additional volatility to price action throughout the week as traders look to hedge exposure on these positions, work out of them, or possibly take action on the spot market in anticipation. For Bitcoin, much the same. Charles Boviard, a researcher at crypto crypto research firm Quantum Economics, told Decrypt, quote, as these contracts approach their expiration date, volatility could spike as investors opt to buy, sell, or let their contracts expire. Dan Gunsberg, CEO and co-founder of crypto trading platform HXRO, said that a good chunk of the options contracts are between $11,000 and $12,000, which is far above Bitcoin's current price of $10,310. Gunsberg told Decrypt the market is effectively giving you 20 to 1 odds right now that the price will trade at or above 11000 by the 25th of September. Hitting 11000 would be no great explosion. Bitcoin's price was just above $11,000 last Saturday. <laughs> but any higher than usual could set off more fireworks. This is crypto, so you never really know. Boviard added, If a large number of contract holders use this ability to purchase Bitcoin before the contracts expire, that would place upward pressure on the cryptocurrency's price. Likewise, if contract holders use their options to sell, it would place downward pressure on Bitcoin prices, he said. However, it could also have very little impact at all. If the option contracts expire without being exercised or rather used, then they won't place upward or downward price pressure on Bitcoin. All right, so learn a little bit more about the in, inner workings of some of these instruments. This one, in fact, being options. And, you know, I'm not a trader, so I don't really, it, it's, it's actually helpful when I read these kinds of uh, news stories. Because I wasn't exactly sure what, exactly what options meant. You know, exactly what do futures mean? Exactly what are some of these other in, instruments? Yeah, you know, it's just like, even though I don't trade, this has actually been a really good doing. This kind of thing has been a really good trading education for me. So, or at least, at least as far as the uh, the lingo that's being used. But <clears throat> you know, it sure would be nice to have the option to buy Bitcoin at four thousand dollars come Friday. I mean, and not and not have to just sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to put in put in some options. Completely not obli- obligated to actually do a, damn thing when the day comes I don't know man it just seems like at that point how is it a contract So I hear people use the term options contract maybe they're just using that terminology wrong because that does not sound like a contract a futures contract sounds like a contract because you are obligated to buy that shit on the day so continuing on Coindesks ooh, who is this one? Patty Baker I like Patty she's alright uh, crypto companies are lining up to work with us, says Visa Exec. This was written sometime this morning, and it's one of these bullet point things, but I'm kind of getting used to them. Uh, let's see here. Where does she have to say? The world's largest payment processor has said it's considering partnership proposals from an increasing number of quote-unquote crypto companies. Terry Angelos, Visa's global fintech lead, told Forbes cryptocurrency companies had shown a significant interest in working with them. Yes, because I have a sneaky suspicion that this is where crypto companies that have no real use case go to die. That's what I think. Visa's not all bad. I'm just saying that it just seems like a lot of people are flocking to Visa just because there's been a couple of, you know, bigger names in the Bitcoin space that have worked with uh, Visa in the past. You know who they are, but... In this case it just sounds like a whole bunch of shit companies are going me too, me too. <laughs> Please do something for us. Please make give us some legitimacy here. Another bullet point, although Angelos didn't mention any by name, he said most wanted to plug themselves into the payment processor's network, which has over 60 million merchants in more than 200 countries, the largest of its kind in the world, Visa is an increasingly prevalent force in the digital asset space. Having first dabbled with a few proof of concepts in 2015, the payment processor has joined and left the Libra Association, invested in a custodial provider Anchorage, and become a member of the Digital Chamber of Commerce, a blockchain advocacy group in the United States. Exchange Coinbase (coughs) has been Visa's most prominent crypto partner. After initially collaborating on a branded payment card Coinbase became a principal member earlier this year, giving it the right to issue Visa cards to other crypto companies. But Angelo said Visa had already onboarded another 25 crypto companies that were at various stages of development. Some have been through its fast-track program. He continued an initiative that gives selected startups a leg up through guidance and support, as well as providing them with access to its payments network. Just this month, the crypto lending platform, CRED, joined the fast track and can now use Visa's network to send interest payments directly to users' bank accounts. Asked, if Coinbase was likely to remain the only crypto company to be Visa's principal member, Angela said, well, we have some that are potentially in the queue. So apparently another, a couple of other larger companies may be up and coming for this one. Gemini, uh, Ty- Tyler and what's his, Cameron Winklevi, the Winklevi are at it again. They are launching in the UK as part of a global expansion. Scott Cipollina is writing this one for Decrypt.co. Let's see. Crypto exchange Gemini has expanded into the United Kingdom after successfully gaining approval from the Financial Conduct Authority as a regulated entity. The FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, has authorized the exchange with an electronic money institution license. The crypto exchange's approval by the FCA signals a new step in the mainstreaming of crypto services in the UK. Gemini provides tools that allow users to trade and invest in crypto assets with the newly approved license, UK customers can make GBP deposits to fund their Gemini account via faster payments, CHAPs, and swift wire transfers. Quote, rigorous compliance is central to building a sustainable future for crypto and for our growth as a company, it ensures customers' funds and data are adequately protected and that users can trust in the safety, stability, and reliability of the product. Blair Halliday, Chief Compliance Officer at Europe or for Europe at Gemini, told Decrypt. In addition to the EMI license gained at approval, Gemini has also been approved as part of the FCA's Fifth Money Laundering Directive, or the AMLD-5. Crypto Asset Registration Process The FCA is the anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing supervisor for UK crypto asset businesses. Therefore, any company registered will have to comply with rules relating to the thresholds for customer due diligence. Quote, Complying with the FCA's AML and CTF, uh, regime provides our users assurance that they are not putting money into a product that is awash with illicit funds from illegal sources, said Halliday. What like JP Morgan, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, the others like those guys. God, the, the hypocrisy is insurmountable in order for crypto to fulfill its mainstream potential. There has been a concerted push towards regulation, safety, and security. For Gemini, satisfying the FCA's regulatory requirements is a big step to achieving global expansion. Quote, going live with our full services available in GBP in the UK is another exciting step forward in Gemini's international expansion, advancing our mission to empower individuals and organizations around the world through crypto. Gemini CEO Tyler Winklevoss said in a statement, I hope he put a tie and a suit on that statement because it sounds like suit speak. It was also no coincidence that Jim and I pursued regulatory approval in the UK. The FCA knows what it is looking for in an e-money institution. London, along with New York, is one of the major world centers in the fintech space, Halliday said, adding that crypto firms must build a bridge between the old world of finance and the new frontier of crypto. Ugh. I'm sorry, but every time I read where I mean it's it's like this structure business speak or mission statements or whatever it's like it has this entire this this structure to it that cannot be denied the minute you read more than four words in a row of a mission statement from some freaking corporation it's like oh my god uh, okay so to end it's clear that massive scandals hitting regulators worldwide have not quenched crypto's thirst for regulation I have a thirst for being regulated. Oh, God. Uh, Speaking of regulation, this one in Russia, uh, uh, this is actually by Tim Alper for CryptoNews.com. Declare your Bitcoin or we'll take 30% of it, says draft Russian law. Russia's seemingly never-ending quest to find consensus on crypto-specific legislation has taken a new turn with the country's finance minister proposing a set of measures that could see failure to report crypto holdings made illegal and punishable with potentially massive fines. And well you're gonna to have to wait till the doctors get finished sewing me up after that horrendous boating accident. Commissant or commerçant reported that under new draft legislation put forward by the ministry, undeclared crypto ownership could be punishable with fines. The Ministry of Finance will meet with stakeholders and policymakers this week to discuss new versions of bills to be adopted in connection with Russia's first ever crypto law, which comes into force on January 1st, 2021. As reported, the first crypto law amounts to little more than a glossary of terms of all things crypto and blockchain related, but the latest draft proposals, which a commerçant said it had seen copies of, appear to suggest imposing what sounds like draconian measures for crypto holders who fail to let the state know what they are doing in the world of crypto. The media outlet stated that the proposals would require all individuals who have received over $1,300 United States dollars in a calendar year to inform the tax authorities, Crypto owners would be required to submit an annual report on their transaction history and the balances of their crypto assets. Failure to do so would result in a minimum fine of about $650 or up to 30% of an individual's total crypto asset holdings. The same media outlet quoted a tax lawyer at legal firm Brian Cave Lighten Paisner, which is in Russia as stating that if the amendments are adopted, the first report would have to be submitted by April 30th, 2021 for the current financial year of 2020. Wow, their shit is remarkably close to our tax reporting date of April 15th. Huh, that's interesting. All right, well, there you go. So what does this mean? Well, it means the legacy system is starting to realize that it's dying and if uh, and it's going to it's going to take a long time for it to die it's going to be ugly where people are going to get in trouble i hope i'm not one of them but it's very it, it's possible i don't know i mean it depends on what the united states does but in the end this is bitcoin really does kind of you know herald the possible death of the nation state it's not that it does, it's that it could. It depends on, on our interpretation of it because Bitcoin by, by and large doesn't do anything but churn out a block of transactions every 10 minutes. That's, that's all it does. Where it touches us as people, as society and whatnot, is, com- is, is completely on our side of the relationship. Bitcoin doesn't really have a relationship with us. We have a relationship with Bitcoin. Bitcoin just is. It doesn't know anything. It's too stupid, right? Which is exactly what I want my money to be. I want my money to be stupid. I want it to have the ability to do things like, quote unquote, smart contracts. I just think that that's a really terrible term. I think smart contracts is a really bad term, in fact. There's nothing smart about it. Automated contract actually makes a hell of a lot more sense, but I'm not going to push it because it's not really worth it. I'm just saying that I like my money stupid. I do like to have it automated. But I don't want it to be thinking for me. I don't want it to try to enter into a relationship with me. I, I make the choice of entering into a relationship with Bitcoin because of that connection point. And the connection point that so many other tens and hundreds of thousands of people have with Bitcoin, that, that relationship that we've chosen to have, puts us in a situation where we can better understand each other. And what I'm starting to understand from each other is that we're kind of done with the nation state. I want out. I, I, I do. I'm not, a, like I've said it before, I'm not a fan of the United States federal government. I am a fan of the United States. But in reality, what I really am is I'm, I'm a fan of Texas that is part of the United States that even if we were to secede, as a state. And I don't know if that, I mean, it's possible that we can, it, it, there's interpretations as to the Texas constitution as to whether or not we're allowed. But since the language of secession is even in the constitution of Texas, as it was written after we got into the union, then there's the potential that we can secede from the union. All I give a shit about is coming away with the bill of rights of the United States constitution if if texas were to secede and we did not take the bill of rights with us and adopt it as our own i would not be a fan of being in texas i want my second amendment i want my actually i just want all those amendments at least i also would rather not have slavery so 13th needs to come in but after a while there's some like you know when you get into the uh, especially the uh, amendments that uh, gave us the Federal Reserve and income tax, I could do without that. We don't really need a central bank in a na- in a non-nation state. I just I'm just saying, man. I've had my fill. This seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, country, you know, countries, the governments of those countries seem to be getting more and more antsy. They seem to be looking more and more like a critter that's backed into a corner, and if you've If you know the old saying, there is nothing more dangerous than a small animal backed into a corner. Much less a very large animal that's backed into a corner. All right. so any of these governments are very, very dangerous critters, just to begin with. Much less putting their ass on the edge. So just be aware, Russia ain't the only people that are going to be coming and doing this. So, you know... A long time ago, I used to wonder i used to have a question as to whether or not we should be generating a shit ton of legacy wallet addresses now while we have the ability to do so I'm not saying that we're not going to have the ability to do so in the future I'm just saying I wonder if it wouldn't be a good idea to get a hold of a hardware wallet and generate like i don't know a hundred private keys so that you and you know what? A hundred generations of your, your offspring would have legacy—the ability to transact with legacy uh, Bitcoin addresses. That just—that's all I'm saying about that. Let's run the numbers. cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities. Let's start with energy. Oil is essentially unchanged. uh, Whether you're talking about Brent North Sea or West Texas Intermediate, they're both down like, you know, like 0.08 and 0.05 respectively. Natural gas, however, is on a freaking tear. It's doing its thing again. Six percent to the upside on futures. So it's we're look yesterday was something like I don't know what I saw. I think it was like one dollar and eighty-seven cents for a thousand cubic feet. Now it's at two dollars and a quarter for a thousand cubic feet. So go figure gold continuing to go down. Uh it's at eighteen sixty-one right now for an ounce. It's down actually 0.348. Uh, silver is down 3% to 22.3. Getting into the actual indices. We're looking at meh. A whole bunch of meh. Down futures is basically sideways. S&P futures sideways. NASDAQ futures are down a third of a point, And the S&P mini is up almost a half of a point. So yeah, meh. Real money. BTC is at $10,334.55. If you were if you survived yesterday's for whatever reason flash crash, uh if you're not used to it by now, you will either be shaken out or you will get used to it. I'm actually kind of used to it. You know, I if it were to drop right now to like $100, would I be sad? <laughs> yes, I'd be sad but it's not like i haven't seen some really weird shit yesterday i don't know what was going on maybe it has something to do with these options con option contracts expiring friday i don't know i don't know what they'll happen but it's not like it's not like something actually escaped the carnage i mean everything was on fire yesterday every asset every crypto i mean it's just it was an ugly ugly day but if you survived it good for you million BTC have been sent around the horn. That took us about 364,000 transactions to do, and that's about 15,179, well, about, it's actually 15,179 transactions on average per hour, with about 107,000 BTC being sent every hour. The average transaction value was seven BTC, and the median transaction value is the same at 0.05 BTC, about 520 bucks. Block time is coming down a little bit, uh, or actually, block time is now low. It's nine minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, we've had six or 0.62 BTC taken in fees on a per-block basis, and almost 100 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We are up 3.9% on hash rate. We're up to 129.9 exahashes per second. We were not that far off from the same hash rate as yesterday, so I'm concerned with what actually changed. I'm not seeing a difficulty change, but I may be wrong on that one. I don't keep as close a track as to when difficulties change as I probably should. Ethereum is at 337. Bcash at 214. Litecoin at 44 BSV at 153 and Dogecoin at 0.0026. 48,000, sorry, 48,000 transactions for Dogecoin puts it on top of Ethereum Classic uh, and Bcash at 18,500 transactions in the last 24 hours. But again, Litecoin, for whatever reason, is going crazy. 162, 163,000 transactions were made on Litecoin in the last 24 hours. This has like been going on since the middle of last week. I don't, I don't know what the hell and nobody's telling me what they know about Litecoin. So I guess it's going to remain a mystery price that Clark Moody Bitcoin has on Bitcoin is 10,400. We have again, now this is where my, this is where, uh, deleting all my cookies came in. I had a custom dashboard set up and it's, it's all gone. So I'm going to have to go find all my stuff again. Let's start with mining, uh, wait, or rather, where's my stuff? See, this is what sucks about clearing your cash, but it has to be done every once in a while. Uh, mempool. There we go. Okay. Uh, Clark Moody, the mempool that he's reading looks to be about 12,000 transactions are chilling out. It's going to take 25 blocks to clear. Lightning network is at 1,108 BTC. That's about 11.5 million dollars in total capacity. That's over 7,514 nodes representing 37,207 channels. We have 547 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning network, in that, but we've actually gone, we've actually plummeted quite a bit on the Tor side. We're only at 49.4% of the Lightning network being handled by Tor nodes. And that is over 2,428 tour nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We've got this one out of Sandali Handagama. I think I've actually got that one right. Uh, from Coindesk, and she's writing about this on the 24th, well, which would be today, but I don't know at what time, doesn't really matter, because Iran is ripe for Bitcoin adoption even as government clamps down on mining. This is a bit of a long one, but um, you know, I normally say that I'm watching Central America, South America, and the continent of Africa uh, for Bitcoin adoption. I'm now expanding that to the Middle East, not just Iran. I'm but like all of the Middle East, probably not Saudi Arabia. They're pretty functional as far as their money is concerned right now, but that could change. They're not exactly a a nice government over there, so you never know. But I'm I'm expanding this shit to Egypt, Palestine, uh Syria, let's see what else is over there, Iran, Iraq, you know, you you name it, man. All of that shit Iran-based, or rather, if people that age are thinking about storing their wealth in anything rather than the national real, it's because they are just losing confidence in it, and more and more people are looking for alternatives, Amini told Coindesk. Bitcoin is increasingly relevant in Iran as the country suffers from an economic downturn fueled by U.S. sanctions and the COVID-19 pandemic. Bitcoin's independence from government control makes it an an attractive option for individuals hoping to hold on to the value of their earnings as the rial suffers from inflation. Amini openly advocates for Bitcoin and joked that she wouldn't mind stopping people in the streets to tell them about the cryptocurrency. Speaking to Coindesk, fellow Iranian and Bitcoin maximalist Zaya Sader went so far as to say that holding wealth in rials can mean losing money every single day. Iran's famously repressive government has not snuffed out cryptocurrency. It has recognized Bitcoin mining as a legitimate industry that could bring wealth into the country, though it risks suffocating it with way too much regulation. The country's central bank has also endorsed the creation of a national digital currency. After the United States withdrew from the nuclear deal with Iran in May of 2018 and reinstated economic sanctions, Iran's economy fell into an ongoing recession. Its national currency, the rial, lost over half of its value against the dollar. In June 2020, with the pandemic putting pressure on economies across the globe, one dollar was worth more than 66,000 rials. By August, Iran's year-on-year inflation rate rose over 25%, despite President Hassan Rouhani's government trying to curb it, which included replacing its local currency with the Toman, each worth 10,000 rials. So they... All they did is devalue the currency. Just stupid. Although Bitcoin may help Iranians circumvent U.S. sanctions, in certain cases it is now showing promises a hedge against their own inflation. Some Iranian students abroad are using Bitcoin to pay their tuition and a convenience store in Sanadaj, the capital of Iran's Kurdish province, is now accepting the digital currency as payment. According to data provided by Iranian Bitcoin exchange Exir, or EXIR, the platform saw a 200% increase in users over the past three years. The platform, which launched in February of 2017, now serves over 63,000 users. A new chain analysis report on the geography of crypto revealed Iran as the second highest ranking country in the region for crypto adoption, placing 52nd on the Global Global Crypto Adoption Index the GCAI, whatever the hell. Quote, I know people from my family who were killed for holding gold, so I know what Bitcoin offers to us. Jeez, man, that is freaking. That's some solid scary shit right there. <clears throat> While Iranians are quietly exploring new use cases for what Amini calls magic money, the government has been hyper-focused on regulating the local Bitcoin mining industry whose growth is partly due to cheap subsidized electricity. Bitcoin mining was legalized last year, and Iran still appears to be a mining hub, with the government approving over 1,000 mining permits since then. But government scrutiny and compliance requirements are making it difficult for miners to operate. Ishan Gizad, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, sorry, launched Tehran-based cryptocurrency or crypto exchange XIR in 2017, the same year Bitcoin had its historic bull run. Back then, Iranians could register on international exchanges like Bittrex and uh, Poloniex. Ghazard told Coindesk, But in 2018, the United States government exposed the identities of Iranians involved in a crypto hack. Last year, the Helsinki-based local Bitcoin peer-to-peer trading platform cut off Iran-based users from accessing its services after suspicions arose that Iranians might be using crypto to circumvent sanctions, gee, gee, that's just great, local bitcoins, is really adhering to that ethic, pal. In such an atmosphere, Iranian users started looking for a local platform to invest and trade their crypto assets without missing out on Bitcoin price jumps, Gazzard said. Even though the number of users on his platform grew quickly over the next three years, exers trading volumes tell a different story, showing a drop in 2020 despite the inflationary real and the Bitcoin price run. Quote, Because the Bitcoin price fluctuation in Iranian Toman is very high and most Iranian users cannot trade in huge amounts, we have grown in the number of trades but saw a drop in total volume at this time span. The self-described Bitcoin maximalist, Siddhar, for example, does not trade Bitcoin at all. He gets paid in Bitcoin for providing tech services for companies abroad. The pinned tweet on Sidar's profile is a list of payment methods he cannot use from Iran, like Visa, MasterCard, Apple Pay, and PayPal. So whenever Bitcoin is accepted as a payment method, mostly on the internet, he uses the cryptocurrency. And there's a tweet here. All the way back from 2019, from our friend Butcoin, which is at Butcoin, who said, There isn't a single goddamn thing that Bitcoin can do for retail that Apple Pay doesn't already do 10 times better. To which Satter replied, and this is at Zira underscore Satter, Z A, or I'm sorry, Z I Y A underscore S A D R. His reply is this. I can't use Apple Pay, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, or anything like them. I'm from Iran. I can use Bitcoin. What do you have to say? I don't see a reply from Buck. Continuing on, Bitcoin provides privacy in transactions and is not completely vulnerable to censorship from the government, Sater said. He primarily uses Bitcoin to purchase virtual private network services so that he can bypass internet censorship to access apps like Telegram, which are banned in Iran. He also buys digital merchandise, including game accounts and gift cards. In 2017, before the United States sanctions, Iran set the poverty line at around 480 bucks a month. At the time, 33% of the population fell below that line. That's 24 million people, if you're keeping count. Even for Sader, who earns a decent, decent living, purchasing a smartphone costing upwards of $200 is a difficult task. If you get paid $500 a month in Iran, you're on the wealthy side, he said. He prefers to store his earnings in Bitcoin because he has the option of storing it electronically. In addition to the cap imposed on dollar and euro deposits that can be held in regulated banks in an effort to support the real, a general distrust in traditional banks has led to people storing U.S. dollars under mattresses at home. But physically holding dollars or gold comes with its own risks of robbery and violence. I know people from my family who were killed for holding gold, so I know what Bitcoin offers to us. If I'm changing my income to Bitcoin, it's because I don't want to get in trouble holding it physically, and I don't want to lose the value of my money, Sater said. In 2018, the Central Bank of Iran banned the country's banks from dealing in virtual currencies, According to Iranian crypto lawyer Arman Babagal, the ban was in line with most other jurisdictions concerned about money laundering and terrorism funding, but there was also the added fear of a digital currency undermining the real. The government debated banning Telegram when it announced its initial coin offering in 2018 for the quote-unquote GRAM token. Iran ultimately didn't ban citizens from dealing in cryptocurrencies, but warned them of accepting the responsibility of risk should they decide to use it, Babagol told Coindesk. He said that as one of the few attorneys in the country familiar with crypto-related laws, he is now inundated with crypto scam cases. He also handles mining cases and one took him from Tehran to the Pakistan border to help a client that was accused of stealing electricity from the grid to power Bitcoin mining. Oh, my. Yikes, dude. Yikes. Right now, crypto exchanges don't need a license to operate in Iran, Babagal said. Jizazard confirmed this, but doesn't feel... That will be the case for long. This year, amid fears that the pandemic will encourage capital outflow, the Iranian government is looking to tighten rules around cryptocurrencies under currency smuggling and foreign exchange laws to protect the real against further devaluation. Even before sanctions came into place, the government began looking into the creation of its own national cryptocurrency. This state-backed currency would not be decentralized like Bitcoin and could potentially even lead to the prohibition of unapproved digital currencies last year. Four of Iran's leading banks partnered with blockchain startup Kukonos to kickstart Project Paymon, Iran's own gold backed digital currency. But Sohel Nikzad, who worked on the Kukonis project, told Coindesk that the Paymon initiative has slowed down pending government approval, of course, after passing the regulatory sandbox. Borna, a second cryptocurrency project directly funded by the Central Bank of Iran, is developing the infrastructure to support. A digital currency. Meanwhile, Bitcoin mining continues but with restrictions. In 2016, Omid Alavi watched his brothers mining Bitcoin from their home in Iran and saw a business opportunity. A year later, the brothers had already branded their company Vera Miner and were opening industrial mining farms equipped with thousands of imported ASICs antminer v9s. <clears throat> At the time, mining was not regulated, and subsidized electricity costs were as low as 0.006 dollars per kilowatt hour. This piqued the interest of Iranian miners, despite the fact that the country didn't produce its own mining rigs. Equipment was mostly smuggled into the country from China. Alavi told CoinDesk. By the time, or well, rather, by the summer of 2019, he was overseeing up to eight farms. Quote, Back then, it was a miner's paradise, Alavi said. The government grew increasingly aware of the large spikes in electricity consumed or consumption by mining farms like Alawi's. Last year, Deputy Minister of Electricity and Energy Hamoyan Hiri proposed miners should not be allowed to tap into the heavily subsidized electricity meant for citizens at no additional cost or tax. Days later, authorities shut down two mining outfits following a power spike and seized over 1,000 machines from two abandoned farms. Yet, in July 2020... Less than a month following the incident, Iran declared Bitcoin mining legal and the industry came under the jurisdiction of Iran's Ministry of Justice and Mines. Hariri announced the government will vote on modified electricity rates for miners. Well, as long as they're going to charge less than four cents a kilowatt hour in United States dollars terms, that would probably be really good for them. I'm just saying. Anyway. Uh, is there anything else in this? Nah, we're going to we're gonna end it right there because uh, that is a long one and it just goes into, you know, there's like a couple of paragraphs that talk about some other things like price and whatnot. So we're not going to do that one. Um, this one, however, Google, Venmo, Adobe executives join Coinbase leadership team. Ah, uh, staffing up the Gestapo. Jeff Benson, writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday, says... Crypto or crypto Coinbase has created a platforms team to bridge the product and engineering sides of the company. And it's hiring some Silicon Valley veterans to fill leadership roles. The San Francisco based cryptocurrency exchange today introduced Shilpa Dar, Ravi Bayakad and Frank Yu to their leadership team. They joined from Venmo, Adobe and Google, respectively, Dar. Will serve as Coinbase's new Vice President of Product. Prior to coming to Coinbase, Star was Product Head at Venmo, the digital payments company. Before that, she helped usher in and expand mobile commerce at PayPal. Ravi Bayakad comes aboard as the new VP of Engineering, previously as Head of Commerce Engineering at Adobe. He oversaw elements of the software company's commerce platform to make sure it integrated with other Adobe products. Outside of the platform's team, Coinbase also brought on Frank Yu as VP of Design and Research. Yu comes straight from Google, where he led the search data company's efforts to enhance user experience for G Suite apps such as Chat, Calendar, and Google Voice. According to their LinkedIn profiles, Yu and Dar started working at Coinbase in June, though the hirings were only announced today. So, yeah, having people out of Google, Venmo, and Adobe is so completely in line with all the rest of the crap that brian armstrong has pulled i would not expect any kind of turnaround in attitude out of coinbase soon in fact i expect it to get much 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 worse okay we have so we have a write-up about few the whole DeFi thing that i was talking about yesterday Let's see what this breakdown has in has in store for us from Samuel Haig out of Coin Telegraph. Sometime very early this morning, few DeFi influencers understood what a bad idea a few meme token was. Few understand this. Notable figures in the decentralized finance community found themselves in hot water after joining a group to cook up a meme in, a meme inspired token with the apparent intention. Of dumping on unsuspecting investors. Group members claim the whole thing was just a joke. That's been taken the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Leaked chat logs indicate that the Few Token experiment was conceived by Idea Markets co founder Sam Ratniker, who started the telegram group for the project on September the twenty second. ETH Hub's Anthony Sassano, Rocket NFT's Alex Masmej, and Twitter user DeFi Dude were an were among those invited to the channel. Mm -hmm. That's that Anthony Sassano I was talking about yesterday. Ratniker took to Twitter to announce the project, describing it as an experiment to create value for the ecosystem. Fuse first 50 holders were each to be airdropped 600 or 769.23 tokens that would be vested for one year. The project was intended to follow in the footsteps of Meme, an an anarchic token. Inspired by criticism of the DeFi space that airdropped its supply to Telegram users and then gained 900% in one month, though it has pulled back more recently, Sasano confessed to having been one of Meme's original airdrop recipients, revealing that he sold the tokens prior to Project Gathering Momentum, missing out on more than $600,000 in profits, bro, as the token's September 22 high. However, few tokens failed to replicate Meme's success with hundreds of hopeful investors crashing in the Telegram group and an imposter token being launched on Uniswap within hours of the announcement. Screenshots of the group's chat logs quickly began to leak, including a post from Sasano stating quote, We need people to dump on end quote, and apparent confessions from Mazmej and DeFi Dude that the project's sole motivation was to engineer a pump that would line the pockets of those who missed out on the profiting from meme. Responding to the backlash, group members claimed the whole thing was just an inside joke. Many members have burned their few tokens, including Sasano, who made a long mea culpa stating, quote, Since the screenshot is going to circulate like crazy, I want to get one thing straight. It was me making a joke when this group was just a few people. I just sent my few tokens to the burn address to prove that I'm not going to dump on anyone, end quote. The few controversy comes after a recent surge in unaudited and forked DeFi protocols that have included both dramatic successes and failures, the high risk-to-reward ratio in the DeFi sector, inspired crypto custody provider Trustology to offer a smart contract safeguard or DeFi firewall intended to protect institutional clients against poorly vetted protocols. So that's it for that one. However, what about that DeFi Firewall? We're going to find out from Alexander Behrens out of Decrypt.co right freaking now. On September the 23rd, he writes, DeFi Firewall aims to make markets safe for institutional traders. (laughs) Ah, ah. Good luck. A new set of security controls are making the wild world of DeFi safer for institutional crypto investors without sacrificing the convenience and accessibility of decentralized protocols. Yeah, you can have your stupid and eat it too, I guess. Trustology announced today the release of new smart contract safeguard controls, a firewall designed to only allow interactions with verified safe DeFi smart contracts from the Trust Vault custody system. Trustology is a digital asset custody provider helping institutions and other big-money entities hold their crypto in highly secure hardware modules with added features like optional insurance coverage and account recovery capabilities. Sounds like the FDIC to me. The new controls show that innovative DeFi projects and their touted sky-high annual returns are attracting the attention of institutional investors who recognize they need additional protections from risks that many DeFi users admittedly still only barely understand. DeFi, designates an emerging group of blockchain-based protocols that give users access to financial products commonly available from traditional banks and financial institutions, including dollar-denominated net loans and interest-earning depository accounts. In the last four months, these products have attracted several billion dollars worth of newfound interest. DeFi protocols are powered by smart contracts or blocks of code that are executed automatically on the Ethereum network. Cutting out trusted third parties or middlemen that would otherwise take a cut of the earnings from a financial instrument. Yeah, nothing's getting in the way of you losing all your money. That's what that shit meant. Smart contracts allow DeFi protocols to offer superior returns to individual users, but also introduce risks, especially when contract code has not been audited for potential bugs or backdoors used to siphon out deposited user funds. Many DeFi protocols are also open source, allowing anonymous developers to clone their functionality in mere hours or days while making small changes that can potentially exploit unprepared users. These copycat projects have proliferated through 2020 and rarely receive audits, further increasing the risk to users of depositing funds and never seeing them again. Trustology's Trust Vault Users also or could already integrate with MetaMask, a browser extension used for sending transactions and interacting with the Ethereum ecosystem. Now, Trustology's DeFi firewall can validate transactions sent from TrustVault accounts to confirm that the destination smart contract addresses the contents of the transactions itself and other security parameters are met before transferring funds. The firewall... That's a third-party security hole, dude. All this shit is so gameable, it's dangerous. The firewall allows Trustology to verify the safety of DeFi projects before allowing users to make deposits and claims to do so while adding no additional friction to the transaction process unless a user is stopped from interaction with the unauthorized protocol or address in an effort to protect them from potential losses. Quote, DeFi is at an all-time high in terms of locked value, trading volumes, innovation, growth, and risks, we want to ensure we are the crypto space suit. Wow. That institutional DeFi pioneers have been waiting for, Trustology founder and CEO Alex Batlin said in a press release. Trustology has not yet disclosed which DeFi protocols are authorized to pass the firewall, but in that same statement Batlin or yeah, Batlin name-dropped crypto loan services maker and Compound as products institutional clients may be interested in using. A firewall for interacting with emerging DeFi projects may incense some decentralization diehards, but going against the ethos of maximum control over one's digital assets isn't likely a major concern for those already employing trustology custody solutions. On the other hand, the added security and peace of mind from interacting exclusively with pre-verified scams, I mean projects, could encourage more institutional investors to dip a toe into DeFi, ultimately bringing even more liquidity to the growing DeFi arena. You oh. gotta drink some coffee for that one. Oh God, it's cold. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. Okay, this is gonna be the last one of the day. DeFi projects rush toward Layer 2 as Ethereum clogs up. All right, look, I know. I could just spend my entire day reading about nothing but Bitcoin, and we'd all be happy, right? But there's right now there's not a lot going on in, in in Bitcoin, and we know that Bitcoin is safe. Honestly, if if you're even considering getting into DeFi, you need to hear some of this shit. This is the crap that should make you run as far away as possible from all this stuff. That's why I'm spending my time reading it. And for the guys that don't that are never going to get into DeFi. You're going to at least need to be able to talk intelligibly about this shit to people who are saying, what do you think about DeFi? And have a reason to say why it's a scam, why it's shaky, why providing liquidity for token swaps is not a viable source of income. Even though, yeah, some people have gotten rich doing it. But all you're doing is feeding on the fears and the stupidity of masses. And if you want to be that unethical bastard that goes to hell after you die, be my guest, but it ain't going to be me. because Why? Because I read this shit. That's why. I know exactly why this crap is weird. So, s- with that stated, let's ask Martin or see what Martin Young has to say out of Cointelegraph about DeFi projects that are rushing towards Layer 2 as Ethereum clogs up. Decentralized finance protocols are racing to implement Layer 2 scaling solutions as Ethereum gas fees skyrocket and the network struggles under the demand. <clears throat> Pausing right there just to make this statement. Bitcoin maximalists have stated for years that blockchains do not scale on layer one. We were pointed at, we were laughed at, we were called names, and we were right. Continuing on, popular DeFi platforms including Uniswap, Aave, and Synthetix are getting closer to rolling out scaling solutions. You mean scamming solutions. Synthetix, on-chain synthetic asset protocol that tracks The value of real-world assets is upgrading September the 24th to a primitive version of L2 scaling. According to a blog post from founder Kane Warwick from Fomal Hot, upgrade is the first phase of L2 migration to optimistic Ethereum. Oh, It's almost impossible to read. Uh, It's an incentivized testnet aimed at alleviating gas costs for small SNX stakers who have faced fees in the hundreds of dollars to collect weekly rewards. A second upgrade called Deneb is due on September the 29th, which also includes measures to reduce gas fees. Both of these releases are direct responses to increased gas costs due to Ethereum congestion. Some of the changes are stopgaps while we transition to optimistic Ethereum but included in these two releases is the first step towards L2 synthetics. Man, the hybrid approach to L2 will likely take synthetics through to the end of the year. He concluded optimistic rollups is a layer 2 solution that scales ethereum smart contracts and dapps up to 2000 transactions per second. The world's leading <coughs> defi dex Uniswap is also working on a major upgrade. With Uniswap version 3, when asked earlier this year, Uniswap founder Hayden Adams said that V3 would fix everything, implying that L2 may be a big part of that upgrade. It's going to fix everything. Oh my God. There is already a basic demo of the L2 version on the token swap uh, protocol running at unipig.exchange. Unipig was launched in October of 2019 in collaboration with Optimistic Rollups. London-based lending protocol Aave, which is the second most popular DeFi protocol in terms of total value locked, is preparing the launch of version 2 of the platform, which will streamline operations in order to reduce transaction fees. In a blog post last month, Aave stated that its tokens, which are minted to represent crypto collateral assets on the platform, whatever the F that means, will integrate EIP 2612 for gasless approvals. The Ethereum improvement proposal enables transactions involving ERC20 operations to be paid using tokens themselves rather than gas accruing ETH. Quote The short term objective is to push on the to- A token adoption, and that's actually a word, A token adoption. And Aave is actively researching on bringing them to L2. The post did not give further details on which L2 solutions it would be adopting or a time frame for the launch of Ave version 2. So none of this shit works. <clears throat> That's all that says to me. None of this shit works. They've gotten people in trouble. They are eventually going to get in trouble themselves as fraudsters and hucksters and shysters. Um, yeah. Dude, stay as far away from this as possible. Even if they get all of their crap ironed out, what does all of this really mean? It means that, like for instance, if, if you had warned against this like, like I have on Twitter and somebody comes back and says what I have been told, that maybe I'm just jealous that I didn't get rich. M- maybe I'm completely secure in the afterlife knowing that I haven't admittedly fucked anybody. That's exactly how I feel. Engaging in this behavior is taking money from stupid people. People that probably don't have a lot of money anyway. Because why? Well, they weren't all that bright to begin with, which means they've fallen for this kind of crap before. If you're going to engage in this because you don't want to be called names for being quote-unquote jealous that other people got rich and you didn't, then you're playing with your immortal soul. Even if you don't believe in God, there is an energy that is packed within you that will move on after you die. What happens to that energy in the afterlife or whatever it is that you think comes after, unless you're a hardcore Jew, in which case it just ends. Good Jews are good Jews because that's what God wants them to do. There is no afterlife. As far as I know, that's what the Jews actually believe. There's nothing after this. Your energy snuffs out like a candle. And the only reason that you do the things that you do on this planet that are good and wholesome is because that's what God wants you to do. Okay, so the punishment may very well just be Earth based. But for me, who is not a Jew, I believe in an afterlife and I'm not going to play with the energy of my immortal soul, so that I cannot be laughed at for not getting rich because I didn't want to take money from stupid fucking people, okay? So that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, I'm going to bring you a train wreck right now from Tyler Winklevoss. Now, remember, I screwed around and cleaned up some of my caches and whatnot on my computer so my little sound effect may not work we'll we'll just have to see how that goes but in either event let's get on with it Tyler Winklevoss sometime on the 22nd of September said the following yield is something you used to earn from banks now you earn it from a smart contract the DeFi revolution is upon us ay I, ay I, 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 I. see even tyler winklevoss and cameron i would imagine is getting in on this crap dude I'm telling you man don't don't dive just because it's something that other people have gotten rich off of we saw the same thing in altcoins So like everybody's getting hilariously rich on crypto, but you, I remember that headline. That's going to go down as like a, one of the most famous headlines on the planet with those two idiots wearing the worst looking sweaters ever. One that had Bitcoin sewn into it, one that had Ethereum knitted into it. It's just, and and it was, everybody was getting hilarious, hilariously rich, but us, because we weren't going into the whole altcoin thing. And we were getting laughed at then. Now we're not going into the ICO thing, and we were getting laughed at because we weren't getting hilariously rich and everybody else was. And honestly, very few people got rich on that. Everybody getting hilariously rich means that there's everybody else that, okay, if everybody's getting hilariously rich on this, then everybody's losing money. Because, like I said, there's always two sides of a trade there's the winning side of the trade and a losing side of the trade. You cannot win. Unless somebody loses. It's impossible. So the best case scenario is that half of everybody is getting hilariously rich in crypto and you aren't. Unless you didn't take part in either side. In which case, the other half of everybody in crypto, altcoins, ICOs, DeFi is getting hilariously poor. But you. Remember, there's two sides to that coin. All right. So just take it. Take it from me. There's two sides of that coin. Also, you can take it from Dad Says Jokes that there's an ancient Neolithic monument dedicated to Dad Jokes. Groan, hinge. Yeah, baby. I hope that did make you groan. With that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.